Luke 5, verses 27 through 39, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down, okay? This, or after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece of a new gar- from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, and the skins will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. And the new wine, uh, but the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wine desires the new, for he said the old, he says the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. Can we give him praise for it this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for for, uh, revealing the word to us through the apostles and the prophets. God, thank you so much for being so kind to give us a guide. Lord, to give us the story of God, which helps us interpret all of history in light of who you are. And Lord, also to remind us that this whole thing is going somewhere, and it's going to a good place, and Lord, we want to be where you are going. Lord, we want to be with you. So Father, I pray that this morning as we open up this word, and as we we dive into it, Lord, we, we want you to interact with us. We want the Spirit to mingle with our souls, because the reality is, Lord, we will never receive anything from this word if it's not for the miracle work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that. Reveal to us the Word of God and and show us Jesus. Show us how you want us to follow Christ through these words. We pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, when I was was in college, in fact, well, as I was moving to college, something I remember, uh, I did go to college. Can you believe that? Okay, I, I need to add some context, context to this. I was reminded of something this past week. Uh, Monday, I went to Kingfisher to speak to, to several pastors, not, not really to speak so much as to lead a discussion about God's passion for discipleship and evangelism and planting new churches, right? Trying to catch a vision to get new works started to reach new people with the gospel because a lot of people don't realize um, that the area that we live in is not full of as many Christians as we think. Um, in fact, where, where they are, they're, they're, they're an association of churches. Um, they have some churches in Canadian County. They have some churches in Kingfisher County. Uh, do, you know, do you realize that Canadian County, right there, right, right next to us here, is one of the least churches county, or least churched counties in Oklahoma and really in the entire su- southwest region. I mean, it's uh, a lot of people don't realize this. Only 27% of people in Canadian County are actually claimed as a member of a church. And statistics show us that typically about half the people who are claimed as members actually go to church on a given Sunday. 
right? Uh, I'll just give you another example of this. There's um, over 550,000 members of Oklahoma Baptist churches. Only about 165,000 show up on an average Sunday. And that number tends to go across evangelical churches. We claim a lot more members than we actually have interacting with our churches. I think that's kind of a problem, right? So, um, but, you know, the idea to me is, hey, we, we probably need to plant more churches to reach new people or at least revitalize the ones we have and, and try to actually go out and get, you know, people. But, but uh, that was sort of the vision that I was casting. Well, after we uh, had this meeting, one of, the, one of the pastors, who's also a good friend of mine, um, he, he bought my lunch, really nice guy. Um, we, uh, so I ate at this place in Kingfisher. I've never eaten there before. Not that I go to Kingfisher that often, but, uh, but, but we went to this little cafe. It was really cool. They, they, they're special with chicken fried steak. Can I get an amen? You know, um, uh, I was real blessed that day. And so, uh, but, but I'm a big water drinker, right? Anybody else really enjoy water? Man, I love water. I, um, I, I've, I just, I love it. So, uh, I think it's really good, and I, I probably at least go through at least a gallon a day, you know, at least. And, um, and, and I'd probably match that in coffee, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, but uh, not, not, not really. I don't drink that much coffee, but close. Uh, so we, uh, but one of the things, I, I sat down at this restaurant, I order water, and I uh, get, they bring me the water, and I take a drink of the water, and I was like, this water tastes weird, you know? I mean, um, you ever had an experience like that where you go to a different place? Now, I've lived in the Oklahoma City metro for most of my life, so I've been drinking water from Lake O and from Lake Hefner, you know, for most of my life, and, and, uh, and so I, I, I'm very acclimated to the taste of Oklahoma City area water, you know? Um, I can do Yukon as well because, you know, I spent, spent a lot of time there also, but... but uh, but, but there's something about it when you go to a different town and the water just tastes different. You guys ever notice that? Well, that reminded me of when I moved to college because I remember getting moved into the dorms and I remember, you know, uh, getting my first nice big cup of ice water and taking a drink of the Weatherford water and thinking, oh no, I have to drink this. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like I, I, I was a poor college student. I could, it's not like I could go down to Walmart and just afford to buy bottles of water. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't have the money. I was already getting the water in the dorms. You guys know I was paying a premium for that, even if it wasn't good water, uh, just because the dorms are so expensive. And, uh, and so uh, I remember thinking, I got I to gotta deal with this. I just have to learn to drink this water. But then after, after a while, you know, after maybe a couple of weeks, kind of really didn't notice it anymore, right? And then after having lived there for a couple of months, uh, really didn't notice it. And then I remember coming back home and thinking, man, this water tastes weird over here, you know? Um, and it's because you start to acclimate to where you are, right? The, uh, the, the flavor, the local flavor of the water, you know, if you, live, if you live in Oklahoma City and you go somewhere else, it might taste kind of funny. Now, if you live somewhere else and come to Oklahoma City, it might taste kind of funny, even though I think we're superior in just about every other every way to every other place in the country. But anyway, I'm 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 a little I have a little bit of a regional bias. I, I'll admit that. But uh, but having grown up here, you know, I mean, you know, 
there's a certain pride to living here. It's why we, we, we really support our, our sports teams. It's not because we're really that into sports. It's because we're, we, we have this regional pride. You know, we, we, we can't get beat by, like, for instance, teams from Texas. And, right? Can, I, can someone give me an amen on that one? Because that's important. Um, we, that cannot happen, you know? Like, I don't care if it's Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, or Tulsa. You better not get beat by a team from Texas because, you know, we're gonna, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Um, but we've got this thing we have to hold up. Well, there's something about understanding how we get acclimated to our environment, the environment that we're in, that I think is really important for what we're looking at today. Because the title of today's message is A Dream of a New Reality. It's God-sized dream, right? Of a new reality, of something new. It's not the old it's something new. And in fact, here's, this, here's the dream statement for today. God's dream, that we would join him in his work of ushering in a new world in which broken people are restored and the outcast is family. Does that sound like a good dream to you? I'm going to read that again because we, we got to buy into this, okay? God's dream, that we would join him in his work of ushering in a new world in which broken people are restored and the outcast is family. So the kingdom of heaven looks like. Right? There's nobody in the kingdom of heaven except for God himself. And 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 you could debate some angels maybe. I don't know. But but God himself definitely really there's no one in heaven except for God himself who really deserves to be there. So in that sense, we're all outcasts who've been brought in. In the previous verses, as we've walked through this chapter, what we've seen is we've seen Jesus exert his power and authority over both the effects of sin and sin itself. Right? He healed the paralytic, but before he did that, he forgave him of his sins. So exerted his power over sin itself and then over the effects of sin, which was his paralysis. He was able to say, look, you're forgiven, and not only that, get up and walk. Pretty cool. Well, now we're taking this idea on forward. He, Jesus proved to us that he, uh, who he was. He proved who he was. He was the Son of God, that he has the authority to forgive sins. Why? Because he demonstrated the power that comes along with that authority. And we talked about how he wants us to be able to use that authority as well under him. Remember, he said in the Great Commission, all authority has been given unto me. Right? That's what Jesus said. And then he turned to his disciples. He says, now you go. He wasn't sending them out on their own authority. He was sending them out on his authority. And we continue to go out on his authority when we go out doing his work. And that's why we made it such a stink over doing gospel work. Right? Like, if we want God to show up in power, we have to be doing gospel work because he wants, to do, he wants to empower his work. But he's not all that interested in empowering our work or our personal agendas or whatever. He's not that interested in that because that's not advancing his kingdom. He's about advancing his kingdom in the world, advancing the gospel, which reveals the power of the kingdom in the whole world. So today... Today, we're, we're, we're looking into the difference between the old way or the old paradigm, if you want to use a fancy word. I like that word, by the way. Um, I think it sounds nice. But uh, like a paradigm is a framework, right? 
It's a, um, so let's say the old framework and the new framework. So first of all, what we see in here in the first few verses that we read in Matthew chapter 5, and you can pull that, that first set of verses up if you want to. Um, we see that after he did this miracle of healing that we talked about, then he was going, moving to a new place. And he saw this tax collector named Levi sitting at his booth. So here, here we have Levi. He's at work, right? Levi's at work. He's doing business. And right from there, he looks at him and says, follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. Now, let's stop there for a second because let's, let's consider what this meant for, for Levi. This is kind of a big deal. Levi, by the way, also called Matthew, uh, would, was not considered particularly acceptable to the culture of his day. And there's reasons for that. One, uh, he was considered unclean and defiled because of the work that he did. He was a tax collector. So what a tax collector in those days did is it's not like, um, not like in our day whenever, you know, you've got a tax man who fills out your, uh, your, your tax return for you. Um, no. This guy worked, one, he was, he was a government agent, worked directly for the government, and would go around to people and say, you pay what you owe or I'm going to have you hauled off to jail. So pretty much an IRS agent. <laughs> He's kind of what he was. Uh, um, he, uh, and and we, we all know how popular IRS agents are in our, in our culture today. But, uh, but no, the guy was, he was, but back then, of course, there were no laws necessarily governing how you could treat people as a tax collector. So they were allowed to essentially extort money from people. That was considered fine. And in fact, the Roman government, as long as they got their cut, they really didn't care. They would say, oh, yeah, you feel free to overtax, and you can keep the rest. We don't care. Just send us whatever you want. And so they would abuse people. They would abuse their, their, their authority. They, they would oftentimes uh, do pretty terrible things to people and steal from them. So they weren't very popular, um, and they were considered traitors against the nation. But also, so, so I want to make sure we, we uh, make this clear. The particular type of sin that Matthew was involved in was considered one of the worst types of sin to the people. And this would have been true across the Roman Empire, especially with people who had been conquered. So um, because he was essentially rejected by the people, um, he ended up probably with a lot of shady company. <laughs> That's kind of like when you're a shady kind of a person, you're in a shady kind of work, you kind of attract shady people to you because respectable people don't really want to hang out with you, right? So that's kind of where he was. And, uh, and so then he was rejected not only on the basis of what he did, but then also basis, based upon the crowd that he hung out with. He was hanging around with some shady people. But Jesus was doing a new thing. Jesus wasn't looking at, at Matthew just on the basis of what was outside. He was looking inside the person, and he saw something different in Levi. He saw in Levi an opportunity for the redeeming work of God to work in his life. He saw what the Holy Spirit can do in a broken person, right? He didn't just, again, he didn't just see the outside of the cup, and, 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 and say, well, there's really nothing we can do for him. He saw 
that the cup could be washed. Now let's look at the, the last couple of verses in that, uh, that part. And Levi made a great feast in his house, verse 29. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we could probably, like from a lot of Americans' perspective, by the way, he was kind of living the dream, right? He had money. He had power. He had notoriety among certain people. But with the Roman government, this, this was a guy, you know, well-respected by the government because he was doing the government job. But at the same time, his own people rejected him because he was involved in all these shady dealings. So, I mean... But I know a lot of people who probably would make that trade, you know, um, could have the power and the money and, and probably the women, you know, all the things that came with the position and really didn't have to worry about accountability. There are a lot of people in this country that, that I know who would probably make that trade. Well, I have to be hated by some, but, but hey, I can be set up for life and I can have all the power I want, all those things. He's a very broken man with very broken priorities. But here's the thing. You may look at a man like that who was dishonest and, and, and was involved in a lot of bad things, and we may want to write him off. We may, we may write a person like that off. But in Levi's life, we see that no one is outside of the boundaries of God's grace. And that's an important thing for us to to realize here, no one is outside of the boundaries of God's grace. Now, it's, it's very often that we as people make external judgments, judgments much like the scribes and the Pharisees, and we look at somebody and say, that's a hopeless cause. That person's stuck in their stuff, and there's no way they're ever going to get out. You ever, you ever felt like people looked at you that way? They just have expectations of what you're going to do because of who you've been? Here's the thing, you, you who think you're too dirty, you who think you've gone too far with your sin, I want to say to you, brother or sister, that no one in history has traveled far enough to walk outside of the boundaries of God's grace. It's just that few of us ever turn away from our worthless pursuits long enough to grab a hold of the grace that has been made available to us in Christ. But I want to stop for a second and mention that, that if you've received Jesus, you've done that. You stopped for long enough to see how worthless your pursuit of life and all these things were apart from Christ. And, and the Spirit got a hold of you when He drew your attention to Christ and you saw the glory of Christ for what it was. And you did what Matthew did. You dropped everything and you said, all right, I'm coming. When Jesus said, follow me. Now, make no mistake, when Matthew let go of his tax collecting, when he left his booth, he could not have returned. He was turning his back on the Roman government, and governments don't view that very kindly. 
especially the Romans. Those were some rough people, man. I mean, um, they were, it was a warrior culture. They were led by Caesars who were great generals. So Matthew walked away from a lot. And if you have received Christ, you've walked away from a lot too. And I think that's something that we, we need to remember from time to time. That what we walked away from is not as glorious or worthy as what we're walking towards. And that's Christ. Something about Christ's call to him was more beautiful and more glorious and just better than what he had. And he knew it. Now, how did he know that? I think it was the Holy Spirit, obviously, working in his heart, helping him to see through everything that he was building, his earthly kingdom, and to see how how worthless it truly was compared to the kingdom of God and Jesus. I've often said, why would you want to rule over a kingdom that you know is destined to fail when you can rule with Christ over one that is eternal? And Matthew saw that in that moment. And I would remind, I think it would be important and good for each of us who follow Jesus to remember what it was like when we first saw the glory of Christ and we first saw how worthless our pursuits apart from Christ were and how badly we needed him. I think, Christians, I just think we don't remember what it was like to be lost enough. And we don't remember how good it is to be saved enough. You know, if if we can remember our old life and who we used to be and, and we see what God is doing in us and we see the future we have in Christ compared to the one that we had before Christ. I always love how Billy Graham used to say this. He used to say that you never see a U-Haul, or you never see a, a hearse go into the cemetery with a U-Haul behind it. And it was a great reminder, and I know I've, I say that often. I will continue to say it, because it's such a good illustration. When we die, we are cut off from the worldly kingdoms that we're building. It's gone. It's totally futile. That's why Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, vanity and striving after the wind, because he realized how, how dumb it all is. I mean, we die and it's gone. What's the point? But in Christ, we have something so much better. And Matthew saw that and he bought into it. He said, look, King Jesus is better than King Caesar. I wonder sometimes if, if the interaction with Christ was the first time a holy man had ever really believed in Matthew. And Christian, I want to remind you that there's power when we look at somebody who's deeply broken and we believe that they can be redeemed. That there is hope for them in Christ. There's power in that. And yet, so oftentimes, I've seen in my, in my life in the church, and I've been in the church my whole life, okay? I, literally, there's never been a time. I may have missed three weeks in a row as the most I've ever missed in a, ch- a church gathering, okay? Like, I have been in this my whole life, and I've been around a lot of Christians, and I've served in a few churches uh, in a pastoral role. And I just see a whole lot of people looking at broken people with judgment, instead of looking at and believing in what the Spirit can do. And I just think that if we could change the way that we look at people, that God maybe could work more through us. 
the religious crowd of Jesus' day, and, and like I said, ours isn't that much different, were convinced that God's kindness was only for people who seemed to have it all together. You, kinda, you had to get it all together before you could come in, right? And a lot of churches really do look at people that way. I've, I've, I've served in, uh, you know, I, ser- I remember in uh, one of the churches I served in, I won't, I won't single them out, but uh, I, I, I just remember whenever somebody new would come in and they, and they clearly were struggling, it's like people hardly would go talk to them. <laughs> You know, like I would always make it my goal, and my wife is really good at this, by the way. She's really good at making people feel welcome. But like we would go and find people and, and just want to love on them because like I could see Jesus loves this person. He wants to restore this person, right? And, and so, but sometimes like, sometimes the only people that would talk to these people were our staff. And it's like, that's not good. You know, like shouldn't we all desire to pursue people who are far from God? And, and I think sometimes that we just get caught up in to where we are and we start thinking that we're better than we actually are and that it's our righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. And when we do that, we start to push people away who are dirty because we forget that we too were dirty. We forget, don't we? And so someone like Matthew, who was dirty, had to be kept at arm's length for a lot of people. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I remember, I remember being even taught in my youth group growing up not to hang out with people who weren't Christian. And then, like, it really messed me up when I got to John 17 and I read in Jesus' high priestly prayer, don't take them out of the world. I was like, wait a minute, I've lived most of my life out of the world. I mean, even, honestly, like, I was worldly as a young person, even though I was in the church, but I was not in the world. I was like a worldly Christian, you know. Um, I had all the, the bells and whistles of the, of, of, of the church. I knew a lot of scripture, but it wasn't until the Spirit got a hold of my life that something switched in me, and then I, like, I found that I wanted God because of God, not because of what God could give me, you know. But I remember going through that, and, and so, sometimes we're so huddled together as believers and drawn away from the world that we have no effect on the world. But remember, Jesus called us salt, and salt only works if you put it on meat, you know? Like, if we just keep salt in the bottle, it's kind of pointless. But salt works if we spread it, and you are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. We are called to continue Jesus' ministry. Now, his response to these Pharisees when they said, why are you going to eat with this dude, right? Why are you hanging out with a guy like Matthew and all his, his motley crew, you know, that he hangs out with over here? Why, why, why are you hanging out with these people? And Jesus' answer to them was, hey, I didn't, come to, I didn't come to try and go after people who think they have it all together. You know that the people that is most difficult for God to work in their life are people who think they've got it all together. In fact, the most prime place for gospel work are people who know they're broken. And yet, so oftentimes, it's like we, we're always just hanging out with people who think they have it all together. You know, I, I remember being in, uh, in college, and I was, uh, I was in the philosophy department, and um, here were a bunch of people who were, I mean, they didn't know how lost they were, but they didn't know they were missing anything because they thought their lives were just fine. But then I've interacted with people. We did some ministry once in a, in a difficult part of the town we used to live in. And, um, and we helped these people who, they'd lost 
the connection to the sewage on their house. They didn't have the money to repair it. It was, I still might have PTSD from that ministry. I don't know. But, but you know, we went into that place to help these people, and, 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 and they were incredibly open and receptive, and we shared the gospel, and they weren't offended, and they, because they, they, they were living brokenness every single day. They couldn't get away from it. They knew their life was not okay. And so when we brought, came to them saying, hey, the only solution, it's not, just that, it's not just that you have a brokenness on the outside, but there's something inside that, that's even deeper and, and needs to be addressed. They were open. They were receptive. Some of the most receptive people I've ever, I've ever encountered to the gospel and to, to ministry were people who knew their life was falling apart and they needed a touch from God. And they needed someone to love them. And, and Matthew, I imagine... Deep down inside, even though he had all this, this wealth and all these things, I imagine that the rejection of his people really hurt him. And I imagine the fact that he couldn't go to the synagogue was really painful. And there was a lot of relational brokenness there. And I, I imagine he knew, he knew that, that his life was an empty shell and he needed more. And when Jesus came in and said, hey, listen, come after, come after me, and offered him something more, that it wasn't that hard to let go because he knew he was broken, needed to be restored. You see, all the religious crowd, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, those guys thought they were good. Jesus couldn't do anything for them. But people like Matthew and Mary Magdalene and, and these who'd been involved in some really bad stuff, when Jesus showed up, they were ready to receive him because they understood what brokenness looked like. He has come to go after people like that. And I just want to remind us that it's our job to carry on his ministry, and so it's our job to go after people like that too. So I would even have us to think about who's broken around you. You know, who's in your neighborhood who really just needs a touch from God, who just needs to see the love of God and expressed through his church in their life. Man, God has called us to those people who are in our sphere of influence or what... Uh, what, what uh, what is, um, we would often call it our garden that we're called to, to, to tend in this world, right? Think about people that are in your sphere who are broken, who really need a touch. And I will tell you that God is sending you to them. I can say that with confidence. God is sending you to them because Christ is going to them and Christ goes through you. One more thing we need to look at here is we see the, the Pharisees give us a great example of how the old way is about self-justification and righteousness and the new way is about Christ's justification and righteousness. Because uh, when, when the questions that they ask him are questions about self-righteousness, right? How come, how come you go eat with these bad people, Jesus? How come you associate with these broken people? You know, that they, they were finding their sense of righteousness in their own ability to be good, or at least to appear good. Interesting that um, that is still something that we all struggle with. I, it's one of the very uh, fundamental struggles of humanity. Since the very beginning, Adam and Eve reached up for the fruit. Why? Because they were trying to make themselves righteous. They were trying to grab it for themselves. Right? Because God said you were very good, and the devil said, eh, you might need to add one more thing to yourself. 
It was, right, Jesus plus something is what the devil said. Oh, yeah, no, 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 it's it's okay. Um, You need to add something to yourself. Other than God said you're very good, you've got to reach out and get something else for yourself in order to be truly whole. Jesus plus something. We know Jesus plus something is always nothing, never works. It's got to be Jesus and nothing or nothing at all for our righteousness and justification. So they should, have, they should have just trusted in God's word that they were good, but they didn't. And we continue to fall into that pattern of trying to reach out for something to make us whole, to fulfill us. That's self-righteousness and self-justification. So oftentimes we're either trying to fulfill ourselves within ourselves, or we're trying to reach out into the culture to be accepted in order to fulfill us. Those are the two most common paths. So religion is a good way for people who need self-justification and self-righteousness because if I can just follow all these rules, I can accept myself and God will accept me and the religious crowd around me will accept me and and I'll, I'll look good enough to them to be acceptable. The problem is just changing your behaviors doesn't mean that your heart's changed because you can be pursuing all the right things for the wrong reasons and it's still unrighteous. It's still broken. We have to pursue Christ. So they were appealing to the, these externals, and Jesus was looking right past that, and he was saying, you know what? Um, no, actually Matthew can be accepted if he's accepted by Christ, if he's in Christ. Because for Jesus, righteousness is defined by our relationship with him. So if we're in Christ, we're accepted by God, right? That's it. Not if I have all this list of things that I've done or accomplished. If I'm in Christ, I'm accepted by God. So he was calling, he's calling us away from that kind of a mentality. And then, and then a last thought here is that the old way is about sin management and the new way is about sin elimination. And that's a big difference. Okay, the, the old way is about sin management. The new way is about sin elimination. Now, we get into this a little bit in the, in the last part of this passage in verses 33 through 39. And we see that Jesus refused to play by the rules that the Pharisees had set up. Because they, they come, they, so after he refuses to play their game with, with, uh, with his situation with Matthew, then they go into another game. Well, hang on just a minute, Jesus. How come, how come uh, you and your disciples don't fast like we do? <laughs> right? They're like, yeah, we're, we're really keeping it together over here. We're really building our thing over here. How, how come you don't measure up to our standards? And Jesus basically, I mean, he's just enjoying life with his disciples. One interesting thing is you know that the Bible only has one commanded fast. That's the Day of Atonement. Uh, the Pharisees were about sort of adding layers to the law so they would try to keep themselves from breaking the law. But it was all about their own righteousness. And so they were on the wrong path. Uh, I'll just read you a, this is a quote from Dallas Willard. He says, The current situation in which faith uh, professed has little impact on the whole life is not unique in our times, nor is it a recent development, but it is currently at an acute stage. History has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be essentially concerned only with how to deal with sin, with wrongdoing or wrong belief and its effects. But it's not just about dealing with the external actions. It's about a new heart. And if it's about a new heart that actually deals with the root cause of sin, then it's actually better. Because, again, you can change your behaviors all you want. 
But until you change the root cause of your behavior, it's just like treating symptoms. If you know you have cancer, and, and you have pain in a runny nose, and all you take is Advil and a decongestant, you're not stopping the cancer. What do you do? No, you go in for a radiation. You go in for a heavy treatment that targets the cause of the symptoms, and you want to eliminate the cause of the symptoms because then ultimately you'll deal with the symptoms, but you've got to first deal with the root cause. See, our root cause is sin, and until we've dealt with sin as, as a root then it doesn't matter how we change our behavior on the outside because sin is still driving the boat on the, on the inside. And that's what Jesus came to deal with. So when he calls Matthew, for instance, he's not just calling him and trying to get him to change his behavior. No, he's doing the same thing he did for the paralytic where he says, hey, listen, your sins are forgiven. You're a new person. Now, come on, let's go do something new because you're a new person. It's always about dealing with the root cause with Jesus. And the root cause, if it's sin, means sin has to be cut out. It must be eliminated. And by the way, this is not only true of those who are in the church, but it's also true of people who are on the political left or, or, or pursuing something else for their righteousness. Understand that, that righteousness is really about acceptance. So if we're trying to be righteous, it means we're trying to be accepted by somebody, by myself or by a crowd. So we set up a set of rules that if we live by these things, we'll be acceptable. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how you become acceptable. You become acceptable by receiving grace. And that's why he tells us this whole thing about new wine in old wineskins, and a new cloth being sewn onto an old garment. And, 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 you know, we know how silly this is. Let's say, like, I, this is a new shirt. Um, by the way, this is a good time to buy winter clothes. They're all on clearance. Um, so this is a new shirt. But what if I were to take this shirt and I were to cut a piece off of it and sew it on an old shirt? It's going to look really weird because the fabric's not going to match. And that's what he's saying. If we try to take the old way of trying to make ourselves righteous by what we do, that's the pattern set for us by Adam and Eve, and we try to then apply or just patch the new way into it, it's just going to look funny. It's not going to work. They don't match up. And not only have we ruined the new shirt, but we've also made the old one look goofy. That's what he's trying to say. And, and then if we try to take the new that he's doing and put it in the old wineskins, it makes no sense. The old wineskins are all stretched out and worn out anyway. They're just going to burst. And then you've ruined the new wine and you've ruined the wineskins. But what he's saying is instead, he, he's saying this. He's saying, I am not trying to retread the old tires. I'm giving you some new tires. You know what I mean? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't come here to fix your old shirt. I'm giving you a new one. And the new is incompatible with the old. Okay, listen, this is really important, church. Jesus did not come to remodel your house. He came to build you a new house, okay? He did not come to take your life and your body and say, hey, we're just going to refurbish this a little bit. No, he came to make you a new person. And that's what he did in Matthew's life, and that's what he did in the paralytic's life. And that's what he was doing in his disciples. And that's what he wanted to do in the scribes and Pharisees, but they wouldn't have anything to do with it because they couldn't see past their own nose. But Jesus, when he came to you, he called you to be new. 
So I just want to summarize this a little bit. There's three things we pointed out here. The old way is about an exclusive elite. The new is open to all who will come by faith. The old way is about self-justification and self-righteousness. The new way is about Christ's justification and righteousness. The old way is about sin management. The new way is about sin elimination. Now, how much better is the new than the old? And we see it expressed in Matthew's life and the way Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. And by the way, Matthew was never the same person again. The guy was martyred for his faith. He never went back to tax collecting. He spent the rest of his life preaching Jesus. I believe that God's dream is that we would join him in his work of ushering in a new world in which broken people are restored and the outcast is family. We see how he did that in Matthew's life. We see how he did it in countless other people's lives throughout Scripture. And I want to say that if you've been called to follow Jesus, he's done it in your life. And now he's calling you to join him in doing it in other people's lives. So I want to ask a question. Where, where do you find yourself today? And a- after we finish the service, we're going to have a time of, of just open prayer. You know, Richard will be available to pray. I will be, um, you know, Dwight and Dennis are going to come back in, and they, they both would be willing to pray for you. Um, I know, you know, Scott over here, we've got several people around who would be willing to lay hands on you and pray for you. We want to give you an opportunity to repent and, and also to receive healing in Jesus. So, so where are you at today? I want to ask, are, are you still under the old way or have you embraced the new? And, and maybe you've been a Christian for years. Maybe you received Jesus years ago. But kind of like that water, the flavor of the new just hasn't quite become natural to you yet. You haven't been drinking the new enough. You still drink a little bit out of the old and you just haven't gotten used. Maybe you're trying to mix them together. I don't know. Are you broken in need of restoration? Have you come to the end of yourself? And are you now realizing that Jesus offers you something better? Are you a Christian who is ready to rekindle your commitment to join Jesus on, in his work of revealing the kingdom and making people new and bringing the outcast into his family? Or maybe it's something different for you. I don't know where you're at today. But we want to make room for the Holy Spirit to work. So we're going to pray. And Pastor Richard's going to come. He's going to take our offering this morning. But immediately after service, like I said, we're going to have a time open for prayer, for whatever God's put on your heart today. Um, Maybe you need something. Maybe you've got something that needs healed. We want to pray for you for that as well. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.